Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to The Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Friday, October 27th. It's time for something a little different as we approach Halloween. Today, Sun writer Kevin Simpson welcomes two Colorado writers who have extensively explored the paranormal to chat about ghostly goings-on across the state. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pinnacle Assurance, Colorado's leading workers' compensation provider. Right now, Pinnacle Assurance is offering enhanced nationwide coverage to protect businesses as they grow. From a storefront in Pueblo with a new location in Arizona to a florist in Boulder with a greenhouse in Oklahoma, Pinnacle goes where businesses grow. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. On this day in 1972, the University of Northern Colorado dedicated a new library building in honor of renowned author James Michener, a former faculty member. Michener joined UNC in 1936 despite warnings about the challenges of the West. He left in 1941 for the U.S. Navy, later writing Tales of the South Pacific, which won a Pulitzer Prize. Michener was celebrated for deeply researching locations before writing stories about them, as seen in Centennial, a fictional representation of Colorado's history. While the library stands as a testament to Michener's love for learning, he notably remarked in 1989 about his deep connection with the libraries and the joy of having one commemorate his intellectual growth at UNC. Before we continue, another quick message. Do you or anyone you know have questions about Medicare as open enrollment begins? Join the Colorado Sun virtually on November 2nd as health reporter John Ingold speaks with panelists about everything you need to know about Medicare and helping select the right plan. The event is free, virtual, and open to the public. RSVP today and submit your questions for panelists by visiting coloradosun.com events. Next, our feature story. Well, trick or treat, Colorado. Halloween is almost upon us. We're going to choose treat today because we're lucky to have with us two guests who are absolute authorities on the paranormal in Colorado and really around the world. So we're going to dive into the world of ghosts and other scary stuff. So let's meet our experts who, I have to say, have some of the coolest resumes ever. Uh, Aaron Taylor, who is based in Colorado Springs, has been formally exploring the paranormal since 2013. She travels in and out of the state with her team, Cheyenne Mountain Paranormal Investigators. And Erin has three self-published nonfiction paranormal books, including, and this is one of my favorite titles of all time, Unfinished Business, Tales of Haunted Restrooms and Bathrooms. Well done, Erin. And uh, most recently, Strange Colorado, exploring the urban legends of the Centennial State. She contributes to Haunted Magazine, The Morbid Curious, and American Paranormal Magazine. Welcome, Erin. Thank you for having me. And we've also got Richard Estep, who lives in Longmont and is the author of several books spanning the genres of paranormal nonfiction, history, and true crime. Uh, He's been investigating ghostly claims since 1995, both here and abroad. Richard is a regular columnist for Haunted Magazine, and he also works as a paramedic, uh, keeping people on this side of the spiritual realm. Uh, Richard and I first got acquainted when we talked about a book he did on Colorado's UFO history almost five years ago. You should check out his titles online. It's a really amazing collection. Hello again, Richard. 
Hey there, Kevin. Good to be back. So, Aaron, uh, let's start with you. First off, uh, what does the term paranormal encompass? And, and what drew you to this subject and kept your interest for all these years and even prompted you to put together a team of investigators? That's an excellent question. Um, paranormal, I think, can really be such a broad definition. I mean, if really it's looking at what's not normal um, outside of the normal. And I've been fascinated with the paranormal, especially since I was a small child and reading like scary stories to tell in the dark. But it wasn't until I was older that my mom actually had said, hey, why don't I join a team? And I thought that, you know, like that was only the people on TV. Little did I know there was this world outside of television of all these wonderful people. Uh, and I actually joined a team and we broke off to form Cheyenne Mountain Paranormal. And that's when we got to meet, you know, we met Richard, got to go on adventures with him. And I have friends all over the country now because of this. And so, Richard, you grew up in the United Kingdom, and, and I know from our previous conversations, uh, as a child, you learned a story about your aunts and uncles that uh, made a lasting impression and maybe steered you toward investigating the paranormal. Tell us about that. I did. I, I grew up as a young boy in my grandmother's house, which, unbeknownst to, to anybody, was haunted by the ghost of the lady that had lived there before my grandparents did. And during the uh, Second World War, my grandfather went off to fight in Burma, and the old lady would um, help keep an eye on the children, my aunts and uncles, um, coming into their bedrooms at night to make sure that they were all tucked into bed and were sleeping soundly. And uh, none of them realized, in fact, she was a ghost until quite some time afterwards when my grandfather returned from the war and everybody began to compare notes and no one could figure out who this lady was. You know, the kids had just thought they were so young, they hadn't given any serious thought to it. It was just an adult um, that was there to help protect them. And uh, her description matched that of the lady that had owned the house before my grandparents and had died there. So when I learned that story, I had to sleep in that same bedroom and I was about 50% terrified, 50% fascinated by, by that idea. Would she return? Would she come back? And she never did. I think because some ghosts seem to have a mission. They have, uh, much like humans, they have objectives they want to um, accomplish. And hers was, I think, recognizing the need uh, as, as the Luftwaffe was bombing the, the city uh, by day and night, you know, and my grandmother was trying to raise all these kids on her own. Uh, I think she saw that some help would be appreciated. And when that need was no longer there, uh, I like to think she went on to whatever it is, wherever it is we go next. And, and did that sort of spur you into further investigating uh, paranormal phenomena? Actually, it did, but it sent me on the road to the library because there was no paranormal TV back then. There was no such thing. So um, you would have to find out about this kind of stuff at book fairs and in your local library. So that, in turn, is what spurred me when I uh, went to college uh, to hook up with uh, a local paranormal team, which is Erin did, and uh, try and do some of this stuff myself. And um, I've never really stopped. So I'll put this to both of you. Uh, wh what is that world like that you described? You, you mentioned you, you've made a lot of friends, Aaron. Um, I, I'm guessing it's just, you know, folks like our neighbors here, but they just have a special interest. I like to joke that it's like, you know, a weird little tribe. And those that tribe is my people. Because not all people want to talk about haunted places and ghosts and the things that go bump in the night. And then you find others who they want to talk about ghosts. They want to talk about those 
you know, they're actively sinking the things that go bump in the night and backing up. Yeah. I mean, they are pretty much normal people. Like I work in mental health, you know, like Richard works in healthcare. I mean, there are people who are lawyers, doctors, nurses, Mm -hmm. you know, they're working all over, but yet we all like the same things. I've met some wonderful people in this field. And as Erin pointed out, you know, they come from various different walks of life. Everyone brings a unique skill set to what we do. Uh, you don't have to necessarily be a professional, although, uh, you know, a professional skill set is a good thing. Um, but I've worked with engineers. I've worked with um, parents, you know, people who are full-time parents. I've worked with veterinary technicians, IT people, you name it. Everybody can bring something to helping us unwrap this great mystery of the paranormal that we're also fascinated with. So when we talk about investigating the paranormal, what does that entail? I mean, we're not talking ghostbusters exactly, right? This There's uh, a little more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not I'm going out and trapping Slimer in a box. I mean, I would be so excited if I saw any sort of full-bodied apparition but more or less, we are just, you know, we're going out and looking for, you know, ghosts. Yes. But at the same time, we're looking for other reasons that supposed things could be happening, such as like an old house being creaky or drafts that are happening, or, you know, maybe someone who's sleepwalking in the middle of the night. But we're looking for any reason for a place to be supposedly haunted. And yeah, sometimes it can be really disappointed to, you know, as we call it debunk and saying, hey, that this isn't happening when really there's a thrill of the chase. We could sit eight hours in a room and have one thing happen. And that one thing, 30 seconds is like the most exciting thing. It's, an, it's a pure adrenaline rush. And so, and then with the investigating, it's also doing it again and again, because one night you might have results, one night you might not. It is like a scientific, it is a scientific study. To me, it's a diagnosis of exclusion, as we say in medicine. You know, um, I think it was Conan Doyle writing the Sherlock Holmes that said, once you eliminate the possible, whatever remains must be the truth. So for us, it's all about eliminating the possible. And Aaron just listed a whole laundry list of things that are, you know, those possibles. We look at structures, we look at weather, we look at condition, geologic conditions. We look at things like what medications a person might be taking and what side effects they have. And it's when we've exhausted our list of uh, conventional explanations, only then do we really approach a paranormal one. Okay, well, now let's get down to to some of the actual stories uh, that you guys have, have seen in and around Colorado or even beyond. Richard, one location that, that seems to generate a lot of spirit, so to speak, is hotels, I, I've noticed. Uh, the, the movie The Shining, of course, uh, cemented the Stanley Hotel and Estes Park in the minds of a lot of us. Uh, what is it about hotels? I used to work at the Stanley. I gave tours there for several years, and um, it does not have the horrific history that Stephen King gave it, although um, it, there's no question that Mr. King's book helped put that hotel on the map and keep it there. But I think with the Stanley, uh, or any hotel like it, yes, people will naturally die in any hotel, you know, but um, uh, the Stanley has regularly visitors will report the ghosts of children there, especially on the uppermost floor. And yet there are no records we have of any children ever dying there. So why would there be ghosts? And my my thought on that is that this was Disneyland back in its day. For children that would come and stay at the Stanley, I think the happiest times of most of our lives were when we were children. And we had those long, hot summers uh, where 
you didn't know what a job was. You didn't have any career worries, no mortgages, no relationships, no bills. All you had on your mind was how much fun am I going to have and how much mischief am I going to get into today? So I think some of that happiness remains. And um, where one sees strong emotion, whether positive or negative, one also sometimes sees ghosts. There does not necessarily have to be death involved. So, Aaron, there are some tales behind places that uh, many Coloradans would be familiar with and might be surprised to learn have a, a little darker history. I know most folks probably don't know the story behind Cheeseman Park, that idyllic oasis in the middle of Denver, but it's got an interesting history. Is it, is it haunted? Some say it is. That's the rumor. I guess we could go ahead and we could say that it wasn't always a park, that when Denver was first established, of course, when people died, they needed a place to bury the bodies. And so what we know as Cheeseman Park was the Popper Cemetery. And then we have, of course, we have the Botanical Garden, Denver Zoo, which were the locations of the Protestant and Catholic. But with the Popper Cemetery, you know, you had your transients, you had your criminals, you had poor folks. And so when they decided that the city was taken over, uh, they said, hey, we got to we, we got to move the cemetery. And while they were able to get the other two cemeteries, cemeteries cleared, this one, either family didn't want them, they couldn't afford to take them. They had gentlemen, I can't recall the name of Richard, you might remember, but he was paid to just haul bodies out and he was just chopping bodies up and putting them into tiny coffins. So not all the bodies are gone. There are probably, last I heard was like an estimated 2,000 bodies that are still underneath Cheeseman Park. And you know, in fact, actually on snowy days, you can see still some of the indents. But yeah, people are walking, jogging, playing with their dogs, getting married all over. Um, the fun fact was the inspiration for Poltergeist, that movie. Are, are there stories about uh, apparitions, ghosts, what have you, in that area? There are, and not just on the park, but the Botanic Gardens as well. I mean, I spent several nights locked in at the Botanic Gardens uh, researching that for a book I wrote about it called The Dead Below. And um, the security staff at the gardens have nerves of steel. They've, yeah. They told me about a gentleman they saw that they initially thought was somebody who was in distress because he was laying uh, on the ground at the back perimeter of the gardens. And when they went to help him, he disappeared in front of their eyes. I experienced something very cool. Uh, one night, uh, I was due to go investigate inside the gardens. And uh, when I arrived, I was met by a lady from security. And she, she said, uh, oh, it's all good. I'll, I'll go lock you guys in. I've, uh, I've made sure that the lights are out. So just, just we'll turn on the lights as we go in. And as she turned the corner, we saw that every light in that house had been switched on since she locked it up and turned the lights out. And of course, no one had been in there. So um, yeah, very much. Staff members at the gardens hear their names called. Uh, when there's nobody else in the building. And for the most part, it seems to be like a relatively friendly haunting. But still, I, I can see it being a real cause for concern if you're dealing with this stuff all day long. So when, when we talk about a haunting, Richard, in, in, like in the botanical gardens in particular, what, what does that mean? You said it could be you know, fairly friendly or, or not. Does it kind of run the gamut as to whether these spirits are... Uh, nefarious or just uh, benign? 
Well, some of the activity is what's called residual, which means it's not intelligent at all. It's no more intelligent than the images on your TV screen. Uh, if you flip on the TV tonight, you watch your favorite show. Obviously, those people are not inside your TV, right? They're a, they're a recording that's then being broadcast. And some hauntings behave in the same way. They're almost echoes of days gone past. They can't interact with you. They can't engage with you in any way, shape, or form. But at the other end of the spectrum is the intelligence, intelligent haunting. Um, and these do appear able to interact with the living. And um, I don't like to make things unnecessarily scary. So I'll just say that, you know, there are angry and aggressive people walking around right now, and they do not seem to change when they're dead. But by the same token, there are some wonderful, terrific people walking around who are who are kind and decent and gentle, and they don't seem to change when they're dead either. Well, Aaron, what are some of your favorite uh, or, or most memorable uh, experiences in, in dealing with the uh, paranormal in Colorado? I was always one of those who... I, I joke that I'm like a I'm like a girl on a Friday night waiting for the phone to ring. I mean, I even joke why Richard invites me on some of his stuff because I'm like the one who never anything happens to. And so um, things happen when I leave, pretty much. But I've <laughs> Although had... you you have to be fair, Erin, you slept through some stuff too, and you got a whole book out of that. <laughs> I did my first book, Sleeping Among Spirits, is about sleeping at all these places. Yeah, it's awesome. Demons, quote unquote, are like the gracious hosts, but. My favorite is probably the um, in Cripple Creek, the old one of the old ghost towns, and it was uh, it was a stat where it was open for about ninety years. It just closed in the nineties, now a museum, but it's a smaller the Teller House County Jail, and I saw my first what I call an apparition, but I didn't see faces or anything like that. It was no slimer, but it was enough for me to know there was a male, and I was the only one on the upper tier. And I'm just taking pictures. It's 7 a.m. Lights are on. And there just went left to right. And I went to the other side of the tier. Nothing was there. And, of course, I totally geeked out because I had nothing. Of course, I had nothing. And I had just taken a picture, too, for my website. And there was nothing on the film. So I had my own personal experience. I still remember what it looks like. But there's also one of their popular lores is the guard who still makes his rounds in that jail, um, especially when women are present because he wants to make sure his inmates aren't going to do anything naughty. Yeah, so I mean, Cripple Creek is one of the more active. Uh, we used to investigate a location called Hellscream Haunted House down here in Colorado Springs. It hasn't really been as active, I heard, but I had a growl down in their basement and... Again, not recording. I find that a lot of my experiences that I will have are when nothing nothing is on. It's almost like they don't want to be on film. Richard, do you have some other favorites? Nowhere is, of course, certified haunted, but um, there are there are a number of places um, that I'm very fond of. Uh, in Fort Lupton, uh, there is a restaurant called Holy Stromboli, for example, uh, where not only do you have great food, um, but it's an extremely paranormally active restaurant, which was the old Edgar St. John building. So it's one of the more historic buildings in town, which was uh, renovated and um, turned into a restaurant by Melissa Rickman and her husband. Kitchen staff were getting the shock of their lives when pots and pans were flying off the shelves. Uh, the apparition of a young girl was seen playing hide-and-go-seek underneath the tables in there and uh, all kinds of stuff. And the only thing better than a good haunting to me is a good haunting with good Italian food on top. So <laughs> I get out to Holy Stromboli whenever I can. 
Uh, that's one of my favorite locations. And again, it's it, to me, it's a very pleasant haunt. You know, um, I think the spirits in that case are keeping a fond and watchful eye on the events in the building that they love so much in life. Oh, Holy Stromboli in Fort Lufkin. Let's uh, put that on on our list here. So, Aaron, uh, I, I'm wondering with your team when when people call you, and I'm assuming that's how you get referrals. Do people call you up and say we have an issue? How do you connect with the the people and the places that can potentially yield paranormal phenomena? Believe it or not, we had to discontinue our phone number because it didn't get used. Uh, we live in such a technology day of age where myself included, prefer, you know, people prefer to email or chat. So when people reach out to us, um, it's usually through our Gmail, which is Cheyenne Mountain Paranormal, because I chose a mouthful of a name for an email, but Cheyenne Mountain Paranormal at gmail.com or through our Facebook page as well. Uh, we're pretty quick. Um, I'm the one who manages the Gmail, so I try to you know, answer right away. But looking at the case, COVID really didn't help with referrals just because there was such a, a health scare, right? Uh, so what we've been doing, we actually haven't done many private investigations, uh, but we'll refer out. Um, there was another team that was here in Colorado Springs that I would link up with them. There were some cases that um, myself being a like in, a, in the health um, healthcare professional with mental health, I would even ask a question just as a screener. And that was a good way to eliminate people. People don't like to be called out. I would think if I had a haunting, I would say, no, I'm not crazy, but thank you. But most people are going to say, hey, can let me, show, let me show you a picture of this orb or hey, I have this video. What do you think? Richard, I was going to ask you too, uh, are people contacting you con concerned about something that's going on? Are they frightened? Are they just curious? Uh, how, do, how do you connect with people? I, um, I generally connect with people through my website and I don't have as much time to do residential cases anymore as once I did, mainly because I'm focused on not just paramedicing, but my, my book projects and other work. So, but there are still plenty of uh, teams out there that are, are good and reputable. If I'm able to help somebody, I will, um, but there is a fairly extensive process um, before we're willing to go do that to put boots on the ground. I mean, you know, if I walk into a, a location and I find evidence of drug use, you know, the time I walked into a, a house and uh, almost tripped over the bong in the hallway, I kind of had a reasonable suspicion as to why they might be experiencing strange things. <laughs> what, you know, uh, and I, I'm not demeaning people that uh, recreationally or medically use marijuana. I'm just saying that if we have something like that in, on board, it's very difficult to separate that from what might genuinely be paranormal. You know, it muddies the waters somewhat, as does alcohol and a number of other things. Right. So we, we think of a lot of these ghost stories as kind of rooted in history, you know, in historic buildings or whatever. Uh, are, are there many of more recent vintage? Are, is, this, is there a constant churn of these uh, sort of turning up? I've noticed it more when people renovate or they have just bought a new building, something is happening. Of course, there's a theory, you know, everything is always a theory, but there's a theory that you're remodeling, you're tearing down walls, you're making changes, that that could basically wake up a spirit, essentially upset them because if this is their home, 
you just came in and you're moving things about. And so that's what I generally hear about or someone who, you know, did the history. Um, there's actually a location that I'm, I started messaging because they just happened to say, hey, so we think we're, that we're haunted. And sometimes people, they don't want to admit that things are going on because maybe they're thinking it's illness or something else. Maybe it's because they don't believe in ghosts and they don't want to admit that they're haunted. We've had those, have had those folks too. One of our favorite locations out in um, Indiana, the owner's like, nope, it's not haunted. But he, he knows. It's just, it's just easier to say it's not. So I think it's safe to say the a lot of locations, they have those old bones. They have the old emotions and feelings within them. It's just depending on when they come alive. What, what do you experience, Richard? Do, do people, do, do they want you to find something or do they want you not to find anything? There are all those people that want validation, which introduces bias before any kind of investigation even takes place. There are some folks that are very upset if you say, you know, we did not find anything because they, they feel it's challenging um, their, their personal beliefs and experiences. And just because we don't find anything doesn't mean a place isn't haunted. Uh, it means that we weren't there at the right time. You know, the right factors were not uh, in play. Uh, the stars were not in li- alignment, as it were. Um, so there are, there are more people, I think, that, that want validation than investigation, but it depends. Uh, and um, if, we, if, we, if we can make them feel better, um, we will connect them with someone that can do a blessing or uh, help them bring some peace to their home. Uh, I don't like the idea of people being afraid in their own house. So uh, those are the kind of cases where no matter what we find, we can still arrange for some kind of assistance. Well, I think we've got time for one more favorite story from each of you. Aaron, uh, do you do you have a, another Colorado site that, uh, that people should know about? I'm going to give it to Richard for a second while I uh, rack my brain. <laughs> uh, you, you definitely took one of mine, which was the Outlaws and Lomas Museum. I like the telehouse up in Central City. I just love the rich history of that building, that location. Right next to it is the Opera House. So I've had the opportunity to investigate both of them. And Colorado's mountain history has never been more alive than in two buildings like that, the telehouse uh, and the Opera House in Central City. So Central Hit City is just a wonderful place to visit anyway. Um, not that I'm a big casino fan, but once you get past that and the gambling stuff, you get into the old historic mining parts of the town, and there is some real uh, good history and ghost lore that you can delve into up there. How about you, Aaron? Yeah. So I, um, I'm ashamed that I forgot about this one because it actually just happened over the summer um, while researching for my book was um, Glen Cove Inn at Pikes Peak. And everyone should know Pikes Peak, America's Mountain. Uh, I got the permission to basically rent the highway for the night. That was interesting. Uh, so took a small team. We went up to uh, the inn that used to be an old cabin turned um, restaurant stop area for tourists. It still is. It's where the tourists have to break or check their breaks after coming down those sidewinders. And because otherwise it's not safe to keep going. So we're up there. Funny enough, it's called 13. There's a story of a, a ghost, hitchhiking ghost named Mona. Apparently she had been murdered and that's her ghost. It's a long story. I know we don't have a t- lot of time. So re- um, listeners could definitely check out my book for it. But you know, while the case happened and Mona was murdered, we actually started talking to Helen. Now, who is Helen? No one knows. 
But there is a woman in Glen Coven named Helen, and she is very active, and she had a lot to say. Uh, she apparently was a worker back in the day. That's what the staff speculated, um, who died in a blizzard. Um, on her way to the inn or away from the inn. I can't remember which one. Again, no record of any of this. So a lot of this is storytelling. But she had a lot to say. We had soap flying off on the floor. We had footsteps and bangs and nothing malicious. But it was more of a, oh my gosh, you're you're here. Like I said, I'm pretty sure we're the only paranormal team that's ever been allowed to investigate ever. So that was really cool. And so I would love to go back up there someday, perhaps without running the highway, but I probably would do it again too. It's pretty fascinating. Wow. That's great stuff. I I feel truly ready for Halloween now. And I want to uh, thank both of you, Aaron and Richard, for uh, taking some time to give us a peek into the paranormal across our state. And thanks for listening, Colorado. Stay safe out there. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. Ski patrollers at Eldora Mountain Resort are the latest in Colorado to make a push to unionize. This week, a group of patrollers filed a petition with the National Labor Relations Board to hold an election to become part of the United Professional Ski Patrols of America, a growing union representing more than 700 ski patrollers and lift crews at 10 ski areas in the western U.S., The Eldora patrollers could join workers of Aspen, Breckenridge, Crested Butte, Loveland, Purgatory, Steamboat Springs, and Telluride in unions that negotiate wages, benefits, and working conditions as a unified front. An additional 3,000 four-year-olds living in poverty would be eligible for full-day preschool under proposed guidelines by the Colorado Department of Early Childhood. The department wants to expand how it determines which children are eligible for more free preschool hours beyond the standard 15 hours guaranteed through its universal preschool program. Kids who live in low-income households and who have at least one other qualifying factor can receive 30 hours of preschool each week this school year. The proposed change would add families living in poverty as a qualifying factor. The state's largest electric cooperative has won a $26.5 million judgment against Excel Energy for breach of contract and mismanagement of the Comanche 3 power plant. Core Energy had sought as much as $250 million in damages. The co-op serves an area stretching from west of Colorado Springs to east of Aurora and owns 25% of the $1.3 billion power plant. When it is in full operation, the plant provides Core with half its electricity. Comanche 3 has been plagued by outages, averaging 91 days of unplanned shutdowns a year since going online in 2010. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. Before we go, we encourage you to check out a new podcast from our friends at KUNC called The Colorado Dream. Here's a sneak peek. The new season of The Colorado Dream explores the black immigrant experience in Aurora. It's told through the eyes of one African woman. I would sit on the beach and just daydream about coming to America. And the city of Aurora that's working to become an inclusive home for all. In the last 20 years, uh, we have a new face of the city. I'm Stephanie Daniel. Join me for the Colorado Dream Newcomers Welcome. You can find the series at KUNC.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Now a quick message from our editor. I'm Larry Rickman, editor and co-founder of The Colorado Sun. The Sun is a public benefit corporation, and we rely on the support of listeners and readers like you to produce the nonpartisan, in-depth news that Colorado needs and deserves. Please consider becoming a Sun member for just $5 a month. 
Learn more at coloradosun.com. Thanks.